Let's dive right in. Obviously, the big story of the past 24 hours coming out of Minneapolis, the uh, verdict guilty on all counts uh, for Officer Derek Chauvin and a rare show of unity across party lines, city, state jurisdictions, uh, government, law enforcement, uh, just about everybody coming out saying this was the right verdict and hopefully a starting point uh, to building better police and community relations even here in Illinois. Yeah, one that really caught my eye was that the head of the Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago, John Catanzara, who is as blue blood a police officer as I've seen in my career, even he was critical of Derek Chauvin. Uh, he had other things to say, and and some people do, about equating the George Floyd case with some other uh, cases. The one that comes to mind is the Adam Toledo case in uh, Chicago, which some people see as being entirely different than George Floyd. But I think across the state, across parties, across all kinds of political landscapes, uh, the belief that Derek Chauvin committed a murder and that justice was done in this uh, verdict across the guilty counts across the board uh, is fairly universally held right now. No, no question about it. And now that the Chauvin trial is over, attention is going to turn more to the Adam Toledo shooting. Uh, David, as you noted, some real critical differences here in the case of George Floyd's death. This dragged on minute after minute after minute, nearly 10 minutes where Derek Chauvin was kneeling on his neck. Uh, Adam Toledo, the actions that led to his death uh, really took place in a split second, uh, but also took place as that 13-year-old boy was uh, doing what he had been told to do by the officer, dropping a weapon, stopping, raising his hands, was instantaneously shot. Uh, very much a heat-of-the-moment situation. But there are also some uh, concerning parallels, especially in terms of the story that was initially being told by Chicago and Cook County authorities that Adam Toledo was armed at the moment he was shot. He, in fact, was not. He had just dropped the weapon. Uh, and that is raising, again, some concern for people about... Uh, would these incidents uh, be getting the attention they're getting? Would there be a push for justice were it not for the video, either body cam video or bystander video? Uh, and uh, does it raise questions again about how uh, law enforcement, government tends to circle the wagons uh, in these instances? Well, law enforcement is always going to circle the wagons, except in extreme cases like Derek Chauvin. Uh, and in the case of Adam Toledo, it's not surprising that uh, the union and many police uh, uh, voices in the Chicago and across the country have spoken out, uh, calling for a moment of pause for the facts to come out uh, more fully. There is that uh, split-second decision-making decision that police need to make uh, with their lives and the lives of the uh, the people they're pursuing on the line. Uh, and there needs to be a fair amount of latitude to allow police to sl safely do their job. That's a totally separate case and needs to be looked at separately. It does point to the importance of a couple of things. Uh, Body-worn video, which we don't have across the state or across the country in all districts yet. There is funding. Uh, the funding is just not there yet. And uh, that's a, a matter that really needs to be addressed because we see the impact of video uh, in the Floyd case and in others. So that, that's one factor. The other that the issue that will be uh, politically charged and already is, is this question of qualified immunity for police in the state of Illinois. Uh, there's a move to remove qualified immunity, which protects police uh, as they make decisions under fire 
in the field. And uh, there's a push on in, in underway to eliminate that qualified immunity. And that's going to be a contentious issue as it continues to develop. We have certainly not heard the last of any of this. We'll continue to track it. I can also guarantee we have not heard the last of Republican complaints about the legislative redistricting process. It's starting to feel a little bit like Groundhog Day, David. There is another virtual news conference later today with Republican leaders uh, demanding the Democrats do things differently, uh, calling the process unfair, wanting a seat at the table. They have been doing this uh, in for weeks now with no indication the Democratic majority in the legislature is listening at all. Uh, the irony, of course, is that as Democrats continue to push ahead without uh, full census data, uh, they're just increasing the odds that the whole thing gets thrown into the hands of the court and, and out of the hands of either political party to really address this. Well, right. And and one has to wonder, as you pointed out, Jim, these, these uh, press conferences have gotten a little bit redundant. Um, one has to wonder what the broader purpose is of the Republicans continuing to do this. And it does appear that what they're perhaps trying to do is to raise public awareness of this process and to delay, frankly, the implementation of maps drawn by anything but census data. And that delay gives Republicans, if they're successful, a potential 50-50 chance of getting a majority on a commission that would um, would then uh, dictate the the maps. As, as you'll recall, there's a September 30th deadline for uh, drawing the maps based on available census data. That is not, I'm sorry, a June 30th deadline. That is not going to, to hit. Then after August 10th, there's an eight-member commission, which should be bipartisan and equally balanced. And the real date comes in September, when if there's not a map by then, there's a, a names in a hat or um, pulled out, and there there's a majority, a tiebreaker is added, either a Republican or a Democrat. And that's a, that would appear that that's what the Republicans are playing for at this point. No way to run a railroad, but it is apparently the way we're going to uh, lay out uh, who represents each and every one of us for the next 10 years. Uh, and uh, it, it's, uh, again, anybody's guess how this all plays out. Uh, but a court battle, it seems to me, is inevitable at this point. It gets very unpredictable after that. David Greising's here with us, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. David, want to move on now to a, a column you've written in recent days, uh, and this is uh, such a, an interesting issue. Uh, it, you're, uh, the, the premise of this is there's no law against extortion in Illinois. <laughs> could, could that be real? What, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I, that means literally that there is not, it is not illegal under state law uh, to extort anybody, whether a public official or anybody else. And um, uh, that's not for lack of trying. There have been at least three bills in recent years that have gone to the state house. In fact, they've had they, Kwame Riolbi when he was in the Senate uh, introduced the, the bill three times. Twice they got unanimous votes in the Senate, but the bill went over to the House and died in. Uh, you guessed it, Jim. The Rules Committee, which is where Mike Madigan, as Speaker, sent a lot of good ideas to die. Um, I wrote this column because. Uh, uh, a week or two ago when Steve Sandboss, the head of the Illinois Board of Elections, uh, said he was targeted in an online extortion attempt, uh, I pointed out that while while the Fed, he or, or the, the board could go to the feds for relief of, of this law, it is illegal under federal law, uh, there is no state law against extortion. 
And the reasons for this uh, have to do with Illinois politics and uh, a lack of accountability in Springfield, frankly. It's pretty stunning to think about and also pretty stunning uh, to realize that we're going to see a shakeup now at the top of the State Board of Elections, that uh, Executive Director Stephen Sandvoss retiring at the end of June. Uh, He is on administrative leave because he was the target of an online extortion attempt. We don't know exactly what that entailed. We don't know if it involved state computers, his own personal devices. Uh, The investigation's continuing on that. Everybody's being very tight-lipped, and then you add into the mix the fact that whatever happened there may not actually even be a crime under state law. Uh, It is a wild place to live, and it never gets boring here in Illinois. We will continue with more full disclosure with the Better Government Association. We do it here each Wednesday morning on the WMAY Morning News Feed. Back with more from David Greising. We are keeping tabs on some of what's happening down at the State House, and uh, just like we're talking about a bit of ground Groundhog Day when it comes to GOP complaints on redistricting. We've also seen this movie before, Commonwealth Edison uh, and their parent company Exelon making another pitch for state assistance of bailout to keep nuclear plants up and running. And David, again, this is a familiar story at the Capitol. Well, it absolutely is. ComEd has said if they don't get some kind of relief, they may close a couple of uh, nuclear plants. And that's uh, that's the sort of uh, threat that they have made um uh, <laughs> since time immemorial, uh, you know, ratepayers pay to build those plants and pay to shut them down, pay to operate them, et cetera. And um, what's it, what's really interesting about the politics of uh, uh, electric regulation this time around is that lingering in the background is the fact that Commonwealth Edison was at the center of this federal corruption investigation. And so anything that is done uh, for the benefit of Commonwealth Edison needs to be done by surrogates uh, these days because ComEd does not want to have itself or its parent company, Exelon, uh, tied to anything that's happening because they realize that that'll be politically disastrous for them. And so there's this bill uh, called the Climate Union's Jobs, Jobs Act, uh, which which is designed to help with regard to the growth of alternative energy sources. It's being pushed by a former ComEd lobbyist, uh, Joe Duffy, who used to represent Exelon Generation, and unions that are have close connections uh, with uh, the company. And so um, it helps to sort of pay attention to the players behind the scenes uh, to find out what's really going on. And this is one of those instances where uh, tiny changes in regulation can mean huge benefits uh, for this vast utility. And uh, despite all the issues they've dealt with on the federal level uh, with regard to the corruption investigation, they're still very adept at playing that game in Springfield and advancing an agenda that benefits uh, the company. Nice to know that the pandemic didn't change everything. Some things are the same as they ever were down at the uh, at the state house. Pandemic, of course, did change things for a lot of businesses around the state. And the BGA is taking a deep dive into the payroll protection program and particularly how uh, Black-owned businesses here in Illinois have fared under it, David. Well, yes. Uh, you know, there's been this reporting nationally about how um, – uh, black business owners had somehow missed out on p- payroll protection program uh, funding, and we decided to take a look into how that happened. Uh, so far, our reporting on that is not comprehensive in terms of data, but what we did is dive into 
a number of cases of black business owners and how they fared. And um, what we found is that by and large, they got um, they couldn't get any attention from the major banks. They ended up going to smaller community banks. They got far less money than uh, similar businesses uh, uh, have done and that their experience overall was very frustrating uh, because of a lack of uh, viable, uh, um, reliable information and support from uh, the banking community. And so um, we've got in on our website, we've got a sort of a, a here's how list for uh, companies that are still trying to get PPP funding. And um, this program, while it has been very well intentioned, has had all kinds of problems. And uh, it is it, the uh, black and, and uh, brown uh, business owners have felt left out and, and for good reason based on our reporting. It's an important read. You'll find it at the Better Government Association website. That's where you'll also find the PolitiFact Illinois fact check. Uh, and David, real quickly, only about a minute left here, but you have recently taken a look at the <laughs> statements made by U.S. Senator Dick Durbin. Yes, uh, Senator Durbin, in pushing for uh, President Biden's uh, infrastructure program, stated that 23 percent of all lead pipes in the United States are in the Chicagoland area. That sounded like an overstatement to our PolitiFact reporter. She checked into it. And in fact, if you do the math, it's more like 11 percent. That's still a lot of lead pipes in Chicago. His broader point is probably good, but he did overstate the amount of lead pipes in the Chicagoland area, um, 11% is the actual number. So we we rated that statement half true. Still pretty staggering, though, when you uh, think about uh, that amount of uh, of lead pipes that are still serving households, uh, what we know that means as far as uh, children's development, et cetera. Uh, and hopefully, uh, it, again, it's an important stat to get out there, but it should be one that is uh, presented accurately uh, and not overstated. That doesn't really help the case at all. You can read more about that and other important issues at the BGA's website. So David Greising, how do people find you and the Better Government Association the rest of the week? I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org, D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org, and our website is bettergov.org. And here each week, full disclosure on the WMAY morning news feed. David Greising, thank you so much. Talk to you next Wednesday. Thank you, Jim. Goodbye.